only group of couples among whom there's been an increase in sexual frequency over the last decades are couples in which men do more than a third of the household labor. I think we're sitting about 60, 40, maybe 70, 30. Oh, no, that's nasty. I would have said 50, 50. That's Darcy Lockman and my wife, Marissa. I'm your host, Jared Lestrange, and you're listening to episode 42 of The Super Dad Show. Today on The Super Dad Show, I'm interviewing a woman called Darcy Lockman, who has written a book called All the Rage, Mothers, Fathers, and the Myth of Equal Partnership. And I thought it was a great opportunity to get my wife, Marissa, onto The Super Dad Show to record an introduction, talking candidly about our own relationship. And we're sitting at the table right now, and we're talking about how our relationship has changed over the years, and the division of chores has started to get to more of a 50-50 division. But we also talked about how uh, my idea of where we're at with that isn't quite exactly what you would say it is. So I think that's a good place to start. Marissa, where do you think we're at with our division of chores and child responsibilities uh, in our home right now? I think we're sitting about 60, 40, maybe 70, 30, if I'm going to be really honest. Oh, no, that's nasty. (laughs) I would have said 50, 50. I know. Yeah. Um, I think there's lots of um, things that go under the radar for you that I see as being really obvious that they need to be done and probably would never get done if I didn't do them. So you're good at doing immediate tasks like packing lunches and putting on a load of washing if it needs to be done and things that where there's immediate consequences, but things like for the long-term maintenance of the home, like going around and wiping down all the windows when they get mouldy in the middle of winter or getting the dust off the fans, um, that kind of thing. It's all those little tasks. Now, I know as a, as a man, um, I don't think of those things. I can walk over, uh, you know, the, the clothes on the floor if my head is somewhere else and uh, I'm focused on the job at hand, but... I know that for you, you like to have that list, you like to get up on a Sunday and check those things off. And For example, <laughs> 9 o'clock last night I vacuumed the carpets in the bedrooms because it needed to be done. <laughs> That's right. That's right. But at the same time though, um, there are a lot of things that, uh, that I do do. Obviously being at home three days a week with the kids when you go off early and come home late. So I'm getting all of the lunches ready. I'm getting the kids off to school. I'm putting on loads of washing. I'm making sure the kitchen is clean. I'm making sure things are respectable and presentable when you walk in. So yes, that uh, yes. And I don't want to discredit you. You're doing an amazing job. <laughs> order to our home at least. But then at the same time, like the, the standard that you're happy with, the, the level of um, cleanliness that you can live with without being bothered by is is different to my standard sure and do you think that comes down to your own mum and how you were brought up and how she gets quite antsy if someone's coming over and really requires the home to be pitch perfect maybe you've always said that okay Uh, As you can see, there's lots of conversations that we still have about this. There's areas that I certainly know that I can improve. I am the sort of man who is quite happy to be delegated 
chores to be done. I think I overlook some of those things until I'm actually told to, but that causes a little bit of resentment on your part towards me because you feel that I should just have that initiative to do those things without having to be nagged. That's true. And when you've been together a long time after a while, you just, you know, you get sick of asking. And I think, you know, previously, like years and years and years ago when you were doing your bodybuilding and and when you were working and I was home with the kids all the time and you know three little kids that were so little you do get so frustrated that you just you have to ask that it's not and so I guess when you've got that history behind you that baggage I just kind of have to put that aside sometimes and go well that's finished and this is us now can you please help me by doing such and such and you're always very responsive to that okay that's great All right, so I think this is a good intro to our conversation today with Darcy Lockman. Marissa, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jared. And straight into giving us some honest feedback about that conversation, here's Darcy. Wow, Jared, that was was really great. You two sound like pretty much every couple um, that I interviewed for this book and every couple that I know in my life and certainly like my husband and I, though you guys were quite polite. <laughs> Maybe that's because we recorded. We've, I've probably had some less polite discussions that sound quite similar to that. Mm. Um, so and I started taking some notes after I got a couple minutes in because there was so much in there to really um, dissect. And so I thought any, that was any, a great place for us to start. So yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> you've, you've, you've beat me to it. The, the first thing I need to say is say, welcome to the Super Dad Show, Darcy. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I thought you already did that part. <laughs> no, no, that's fine. <laughs> I just got so excited listening to your conversation. Yeah, but look, from what I've gathered, you wrote this book initially inspired by your own home life and experience of navigating the division of chores and responsibilities with your own husband, Michael. So... I mean, I'd love to hear about your own personal story of inspiration. And I mean, you've got two kids who I think are six and nine, is that right? And Yes, I have two daughters, I mean, yep. As you've already begun to say, you know, your story is, is quite similar to ours, yeah? Quite similar. So when my husband and I had kids and our oldest is about to turn 10, mm-hmm. we certainly went into it thinking that everything would be split 50-50. We're pretty progressive, egalitarian people. In fact, it never occurred to us that anything else might go on. And it was such a um, presumption that we never even bothered to talk about it. It would be like talking about anything else that just seems so obvious. Why have a conversation about something that was so obvious? Um, And as our first daughter kind of got, um, you know, a very, very little bit older, I noticed that um, the stuff around managing her life was really falling to me. And at oftentimes, my husband was completely oblivious to the things that needed to be done and needed to happen. Mm. And I found myself getting frustrated with it. Um, And I would try to address it and he would get defensive because I was angry and we would fight. Um, And I saw this going on with all the mothers around me, you know, like a lot of new parents. Um, We met a lot of other new parents when our kids were little. And I just saw that this was so pervasive Uh, And when our second daughter was born, three years later, it got even harder to manage because, you know, two kids are harder to manage than Mm -hmm. one. And I just 
found myself asking the same question almost every day of my life, which was, why are we living this way? Why is it still this way? You know, it's not 1950 anymore. I thought that era was over. This wasn't the expectation of either of us, but I'm mad all the time and you're completely baffled by my anger because you don't even know what I'm talking about when Mm. I say that I'm doing all this stuff. And again, I also saw it going on around me. So I thought, you know, I used to be a journalist before I went back to school to be a clinical psychologist, which is what I primarily do now. And I thought, oh, I can really use my journalistic skills to dig into this question. Why are we all living this way? So that's what I set out to do with the book. Wow. And look, from what I can see, you're advocating for a 50-50 split in parental and household chores in your book. But what I've got to ask is when shouldn't dads do half the work in the home? Because am I right that you're not actually talking about dads who work five to six days per week and mamas at home, but parents who both work? I mean, obviously, the percentage of child and home responsibilities is going to go to the parent who has the most time to ensure those things are done, right? Right. That's correct. Actually, the the research that I did and the book that I wrote is all about dual earner couples. Mm -hmm. So I'm not talking about stay-at-home mothers. I do interview some stay-at-home fathers for the book, but the the book is definitely about two people who work outside the home. Mm -hmm. You know, when two people are working outside of the home about equal hours, why does most of the childcare work end up falling to women? And the time use studies um, in the U.S. and elsewhere show that women continue to shoulder about 65 percent of the child care labor. Australia and the U.S. match up very closely um, mm. on, on these metrics. There's a lot of good um, social science research in Australia mm. as well as the U.S. And again, it is, it, it, it almost mirrors, you know, many of the Western countries almost mirror the um, data collected. Yeah. In the, so that's in the, even if, um, so that's when both dad and mum are doing similar work hours? So yes, similar work hours. Yep. Okay. Both work and they're time. still carrying 65% of the household duties. Yes. And, you know, there are so many metrics used to break down um, who is doing more, Mm -hmm. who is more likely to get up in the middle of the night, who is more likely to stay home with a sick child, who is physically doing more of the labor, who is doing the mental labor. Social scientists have um, Mm -hmm. been amazing in in terms of their collection of data around this issue. It's really staggering the Mm -hmm. amount that's out there. Okay. So I, I found that my lived experience and that of the people that I knew really hewed closely, if not, I mean, it hewed exactly to the data because that's what the data looks at. So there's a lot of empirical work that backs up the way that I saw people around me living. Mm. So I've got to ask for starters, you've called your book All the Rage. Why is it called All the Rage? Women are really angry about this. Um, your wife, uh, I think is angry about it, right? She's very polite about it. And she says to you, you know, I think our breakdown is 60-40, but if I'm being really honest, it's more like 70-30. And she's kind of trying to gently deliver this news to you. But it seems to me that, and and I'm, Jared, I'm not picking on you because again, you guys sound like everybody else, but she, you know, she sounds pretty mad. And I know I was mad. And I know that the mothers that I interviewed were really mad. Um, We, today, we go into our relationships with the expectation that our egalitarian attitudes are going to translate into behavior. Mm -hmm. Uh, What we don't realize is that all the research finds that they do not. Sure. Okay. You also share that men are more capable of dealing with the guilt of having that unequal distribution, but women on the other hand are you know, it's susceptible to carry a lot of anger and resentment when they see that there is that unfairness in distribution. Can you explain that? 
there's a, there's some really interesting work in what is called equity theory. Mm-hmm. Equity theory proposes that, um, or it it. Yeah, it proposes that when there's some sort of inequity, be that in society or in a family, um, everyone is unhappy. What they have found is that nobody is happy with inequity. Uh, what they have found in household labor in particular is that when people overbenefit, meaning they're doing less of the work and getting to relax more, mm. the, the negative emotions associated with that are fear and self-reproach. Um, the negative emotions associated with underbenefiting, being mm-hmm. the one who does more of the work, are anger and rage, and they broke those down into two into two separate things in the study. So, but even more interesting was what they found was that women are more comfortable with underbenefiting, and men are more comfortable with overbenefiting. So neither position is comfortable. They're both associated with negative emotions. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to compare the two groups, men feel um, some entitlement to being over benefiters and women feel um, don't feel comfortable over benefiting. They're Mm. more comfortable under benefiting. So I thought that was a particularly interesting research finding. And it makes sense if you think about how girls and boys are raised differently, you know, without, without not necessarily even by their parents, but it's communicated to boys and girls as they're growing up, that girls are supposed to be thoughtful and giving and caring and considerate. And, and boys aren't discouraged from being those things, um, but they're, it's more emphasized that they should be agentic and think about themselves and go after what they need. So there are these subtle differences in the way that we're brought up that make us more comfortable or less comfortable in either position. Mm. I think fairness is a value that children understand very well, in particularly when it comes to breaking up a cookie that there's only one of. Um, you know, and they always want the bigger piece, uh-huh. <laughs> for example. But look, if yeah. we unpack this a bit further, one of the questions that I had was um, that in your book you share that so many women you talked to said that their husbands were good fathers, but left a lot to be desired in terms of the division of labour. So you know, the the question was why do so many good dads think they're doing enough and their wives don't? Because you heard in my story, I think I'm doing a lot more. Yes, and doing do. a lot better at this than my yeah. wife does. Yeah. You know, the the bar, I think, was set really low for fathering in the, you know, po- like post-industrialization. Um, work was done kind of in and around the home by men and women for, for decades, right? If we think about how people earned mm-hmm. a living. Mm-hmm. Uh, post-industrialization, men's work moved outside of the home. So... Um, fathers were for a period less involved. And that period kind of coincides with the birth of television. Mm -hmm. So if we think about early TV shows that showed mom and dad, mom was home mopping the floor and giving the kids lunch and dad was, you know, coming home from work, um, giving everyone a peck on the cheek and disappearing to read the newspaper. Mm -hmm. So those ideas about fatherhood have changed so much. Men you know, to the, for everyone's benefit, have become much more involved with their kids as um, as women have gone into the workforce, mothers have gone into the work, workforce in increasing numbers. So what happened, I think, is the idea of the good dad got really mixed up with this idea of the good partner. So because we go into our relationships now with this like conventional wisdom about the good dad, we, we kind of missed the part where the good dad wasn't wasn't the same thing as the good partner. Mm. 
Mm. So, you know, I, I think that it's so important to separate those two things, being a good partner um, and a man who really keeps track of everything that has to be done with his kids is very different than being a good dad because all the maintenance work, um, while it is about caretaking, it's not exactly about parenting. All right. So let me quote you here. Um, you said that if anything is going to change, men have to stop resisting. Gendered parenting is kept alive by the unacknowledged power bestowed upon men in a world that value their needs, comforts, and desires more than women's. It's up to fathers to cop to this rather than to cop out. So you've explained that in that last uh, conversation, but can you go into this a little bit deeper? How can we cop to this and not cop out? Well, look, Jared, I, I'm going to use you as an example, and I hope you don't mind because I really I, I don't go for it. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm here to be raw and honest on this podcast. Uh, of me of fathers, right? Like I hear your wife saying to you, um, "I do, I do a lot more. I do seventy, you do thirty, and I don't think you realize it." And you point out to her. Um, the ways in which maybe that's, you know, her responsibility are not really happening. You say to her, I took some notes. Um, for example, you say to her, well, don't you think it's because your mom just had really high standards? So, so you have really high standards and, <laughs> and the, you know, the underlying sentiment is like, why should I have Right. So you kind of blame her mom's standards. And I will say, if you had been raised by her mother, you still wouldn't have those standards, right? Because what, you know, people will say, oh, we were raised differently. I heard women say this when talking about their attitudes towards housework and childcare. And I heard that so often. And I wanted to say, well, yes, you were raised differently. You were raised a girl and he was raised a boy. Because mm-hmm. these, these, these women who would say this, their brothers, I can't imagine, were living up to some the same high standard that their mother had set. Um, you also, I heard you say to your wife, well, you like to keep a list of everything that has to happen and you have a list. You know, so it's almost like you make it about her personality. She always needs to be busy as opposed to she knows what needs to get done and she knows if she doesn't do it, you're not going to do it. So she better have a list, right? So your behavior probably helps to inform the fact that your wife has a list. Um, she says, you don't notice things. You point out that you do a lot and she backs down a little and she says, okay, yeah, you're right. She doesn't want to fight with you. But so there is some, what I hear between you is some, um, defensiveness on your part, which, which kind of seems to result in the fact that she's not really getting through to you Mm because, So as nice as the two of you are to each other, and that's great because it's so important to speak respectfully, obviously, to your spouse, you're really doing a lot of deflecting of responsibility when she confronts you with this stuff. So when I say it's up to fathers to cop to this rather than to cop out, I think the first step is often to actually say to yourself, what if everything my wife is saying her experiences is is actually, there's probably a lot of truth to it and I need to stop push, you know, being defensive around what she says, listen to her. Um, and allow that we could try to make some change. Mm. Wonder how many dads are going to want their wife to listen to this. I know I've got apprehensions after hearing that, <laughs> and yeah. that's just it. That's what you're talking about about this this cop out. Yeah. So yeah, okay, okay. That's a that's a kick up the ass that I need. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think, and look, you're hardly alone. 
The things, I mean, honestly, the things that you, that I heard you say to your wife and she to you in this conversation, I interviewed a bunch of fathers for this book. They all said exactly the same things that you Mm. said. Oh, my wife just likes to be busy. Oh, her standards are really high. Um, Oh, I do whatever she asks, you know, as if asking itself weren't one more piece of the work, right? Because the person who's doing the asking is the one Mm. who's responsible for tracking everything. Mm -hmm. Asking, I mean, I ask my kids to do things, right? We all do. We don't want to also have to necessarily ask our husbands, which doesn't mean that communication about what needs to go down isn't important. But it's typically always the woman doing the asking, which means it's always the woman doing the tracking. And women talk about the mental load being a big part of the discrepancy between what they and their husbands do, being the one who tracks everything. Mm-hmm. That, that is a lot of work. Mm. I would say that dads are probably really good at wanting to teach responsibility to their children and command that respect for mum and um, and for the home and get the kids to help out. I know that that's certainly um, my experience in the home that I'm the one who's more likely to push the point with the kids of getting off the iPad and coming to help with the kitchen or put their clothes away. Um, so, I mean, I, it was one thing I was going to ask about your own home and how you do um, break up all of those chores and responsibilities and how much you actually incorporate the kids because part of this uh, this new book I'm writing the super family show uh, super family plan is about making a list of all the responsibilities delegating them out and having some sort of fairness there where everyone feels like they are playing a part and working as a team to get all of those things done yeah I think that's such a good point I mean your kids are around the same ages as mine, but a little bit older. I mean, I feel like now at six and nine, we're just kind of at a point where incorporating them is more possible. I mean, you know, it's funny because it's hard to in New York, like my kids want to help me cook. Our kitchen is so small. It's really hard to be in there um, with multiple people, though we do it sometimes. You know, that I love that you're writing about that. I didn't pay any attention to that aspect of family life in my book. And it probably reflects the fact that we personally, we don't pay enough, enough attention to it in our home. Um, but yeah, I think that kids having responsibility is super important. Obviously mm. that's how they learn it. You know, mm. boys, boys and girls, both there's some research that shows it's interesting. This isn't exactly what you're saying, but there's, um, there's this app that I actually, I started using where you can pay your kids online for doing chores. So oh, yeah. you, your, mm-hmm. your bank account is hooked up to the app. And every time mm-hmm. they do a chore and you approve it, money goes from your bank account to like a credit card for the kid, a debit card, really. Yep. Um, yep. And what, what this app found when it did research was that boys were paid twice as much for chores as girls. So me. no, I, they, I mean, they were I'm just, really they were paid, that. paid what? Yeah. And this is, I, I don't know what countries their users are from. I know they're us based. Um, so I, you know, I, I just, I wholeheartedly agree with you about that responsibility, but even the way it's broken down in homes tends to favor boys over girls. Hmm. Um, and boys do spend more time as, as do men in leisure than girls. Okay. So we've talked about me deflecting things within that conversation that I just had with my wife. You've interviewed, you know, 50 other working mums as case studies for your book uh, and obviously dads as well. Um, since then, have you heard from any of these women and men about how they have gone having these conversations with their husbands, with their partner? 
You know, it's funny. So yeah, I interviewed 50 women and I contacted most of them to say, hey, will your husbands talk to me? Because I wanted to, you know, when I talked to the husbands, I wanted to make sure I was talking to husbands of frustrated women. Mm -hmm. Because clearly this doesn't apply to 100% of people. So I did, you know, I wanted to know that these husbands had frustrated wives. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of them weren't interested in talking. I only ended up talking to about 15 of the dads, whereas, you know, I mean, the book was primarily focused on women, but out of 50 women with partners, I only talked to about 15 of the men. So the men were, I mean, some of the women said to me, I don't want my husband to know that I talked to you about this. I don't want to start a fight. I'd rather not go there. Um, And then the men were only kind of tangentially aware of their wives' frustrations. You know, it's so interesting to hear your wife say to you, you know, I think with us, it's 60-40, but 70-30, if I'm being honest, right? She hasn't really broached this with you in a very in a way that makes clear to you what she you know, feels about your division of labor. Maybe it's been a topic before, but she was being a little more forceful here, I think, than she has been. Mm. And with these men, they were kind of like, yeah, I, you know, no, sometimes she's been frustrated, but I think we've done a pretty good job. Or, yeah, well, you know, she, she likes to be busy all the time. So the women that I spoke with had so much to say. They were so engaged by this conversation. The interviews went on for never more than an hour, but for long periods of time, there was just a lot to talk about. The women were great. Great. They were really enthusiastic talking about this subject. Mm. And the men who agreed to talk to me were, were very nice and certainly generous with their time. But we could have been talking about watching paint dry. That's about how engaged they were with the discussion. <laughs> I mean, they were happy to answer my questions, but it wasn't something that engaged them very clearly. Mm. Mm. Okay. And um, I don't know how it went between couples. I think that might have been where you started. Um, uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure where it went between them in the aftermath of our discussion. Look, I, I think what I'm looking at here is if we're going to break down these boundaries for the men to listen, how uh-huh. can the women best broach this subject in a less confrontational way? Is it hey, yeah. saying, hey, honey, um, how about we um, we sit down and we make a list of chores so that we can talk to our kids about responsibility um, so that we can look at what things, you know, you can do to help me yeah. out. Um, Jared, I, I want to be a little, I want to push back a little, play devil's mm-hmm. advocate with that question. Um, why should your wife temper how she feels in order to make it easier for you to have this discussion? You know, we're so uncomfortable with women's anger, right? You're saying to me, well, how could women, and look, you're totally right. Women need to find a way to talk about this that their husbands can hear. And, um, right, you catch more flies with honey than with vinegar is the saying, I suppose. (laughs) But we're also, I think, so uncomfortable with women's anger. You know, so to say, well, you know, I'll talk to, and you're not saying this, but just again, to play devil's advocate, say, I'll talk to my wife about this, but she needs to approach me really nicely and carefully. It puts the onus of responsibility for that on her. You know, I heard a great story after I wrote an op-ed in the New York Times that they headlined, What Good Dads Get Away With. It ran internationally also. um, And it got a lot of, uh, it, it went viral. And a story that I heard that I loved after the article ran was a woman said to me that her friend's husband read the article, handed it to his wife and said, Hey, I think we should talk about this because he had a sense that that it might be going on in his marriage. And I loved that. You know, he didn't make it his wife's job to approach Mm -hmm. him. 
he said, I think this might be going on with us and I mm. think we should, we should really confront it. So, you know, maybe men could approach their wives instead of waiting for their wives to approach them nicely yeah. and with a teaspoon of sugar. And I think that's what I'm getting at um, yeah. and, and where I was going with the whole introduction to this podcast in the first place of really putting myself on the line and, and my wife and I having that conversation and then allowing you to kind of pick it to pieces because I know yeah. that we're not alone. I know that it's, it's very common out there in our society for it to be this way. Yes. Um, so yeah, what, I'm really, what I'm really trying to, to grill um, you for is some particular strategies in the conversation for my listeners yeah. who are men who want right. to change, who yes. want to step up and be super dads or super partners that's a How great do I idea. Go about it? I love it. So this is what I would suggest. I, I and I love it that I have the opportunity to talk to men because I think this is something that women talk about among themselves so yeah. often. I think that men can go to their wives and say, "Hey, I think this might be a problem that we're having in our relationship. I believe that I'm not as attentive to you, to the needs of our family, and I'd like us to be more on the same page. Let's talk. So I would love to put the onus of responsibility for this on dads because we so immediately put it on moms. You know, um, wives need to find ways to talk to their husbands. It would be fantastic if, like this man who gave his wife my article and said, let's talk about this, men could, you know, I would love for them to read All the Rage, Mother's fathers and the myth of equal partnership, because it really unpacks the problem mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, why it is this way, our beliefs about why mothers should be primary parents, the sexism that's kind of drilled into us, um, really without us knowing it, men and women both from the time we're very small. So I think for men to really have a handle on that and then be able to broach the topic themselves would be so, so amazingly useful. Yeah. So just um, just a tip on how you could perhaps promote to men. How about we talk about chore play? <laughs> Did you see that meme? There I didn't see like the a, meme. No. There was a photo recently that I saw shared on Instagram a bunch of times. Um, a guy talking about chore play. I can't remember exactly now what it was, but it got shared quite a lot. So you're asserting that, um, that couples will have more sex if men do more work around the house. Oh no, I've got the research here. Apparently husbands who do They're, more than a third of the household yes. chores have more sex than those yes, that do that's less. True. Right. So then, so newer research shows that the, they're the only group of couples among whom there's been an increase in sexual frequency over the last decades are couples in which men do more than a third of the household labor. So that, that's true. And I like the way you put it. And yeah, because, you know, um, women who report that the division of labor in their home is unfair are 45% less likely to say their marriages are very happy. Mm. Uh, women who feel the division of labor is unjust are more likely to be depressed. So these are not circumstances that lead to more sex. Mm -hmm. So certainly it makes sense that women who are happier about the distribution of labor, and they're the ones who tend to bear more of it, so they're, they're the ones who tend to be unhappy about it, um, are going to be less interested in intimacy with their partner. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So look, you know, not as a way of punishing him or retaliating. <laughs> I, I think we, I think we should just, we should just leave the podcast there on guys. If you want more sex, do more chores. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, whatever works, right? Women, uh, women like sex too. So they might be happy with that as well. That's right. But look, let's <laughs> talk about the term mental low, because I think that is pertinent to what we're talking about, um, about, women and men in the home getting more sex as well is taking some of that mental load off each other. 
Can you explain what that means? So the mental load is the keeping track of what the needs of the children and the family are. So for example, knowing in your head that a school break is coming and alternate childcare has to be arranged for, knowing that you need $7 even for the permission permission slip for the yep, class yep. field trip, mm-hmm. um, knowing that the kids are growing out of their shoes and where to get the new ones and what they might like, um, knowing that uh, one of the kids has a birthday party next weekend and a present has to be bought. Mm-hmm. There's so much tracking that happens in running a family. And the research that has been done on this also shows that mothers are the one who tend to bear that responsibility. Social scientists call it mnemonic work. So that's that's the mental load. And when they measure it, they find that both women and men in heterosexual couples report that the women are the ones more likely to do the remembering and, and the tracking. And what they also find is that when men are doing the remembering and the tracking, it's often for their own benefit. So one of the examples one of the researchers gives is the guy reports that he does some of the mental load and the tracking and the researchers say, can you give me a recent example? And he says, I reminded my wife that she said she would buy me a new jacket. So what they found was when men are doing that kind of mental load, it's often for their own benefit as opposed to thinking about other people in the household. Um, There was a cartoon that went viral by a French cartoonist named Emma a few years ago. Um, It was all over the internet and it was a cartoonist illustrating the mental load. You know, it means remembering that I need to buy cotton balls. It needs remembering that um, the laundry has to be put in the dryer. Just kind of like, you know, it's endless. The mental load is endless when you have children, Mm -hmm. especially young ones, I think. Yeah. So I've I've read that 70% of divorces are initiated by the wife. Um, in your opinion, is this tied to a woman feeling like they almost have an extra child in their husband that they need to remind to do things to help and they are tired of the disproportionate distribution of responsibilities? I, you know, I, it's, it's hard to imagine that that's not a piece of it. I don't think, you know, I don't know. Let's see. The top three reasons for divorce, the first I think is infidelity the top three reasons people give Mm -hmm. the second, and I might have this order reversed is growing apart. And the third in one study at least was actually unjust division of labor. So it's not in the top two, but Mm -hmm. it it did rank third in terms of um, issues that drove them that contributed to the dissolution of the relationship. Mm. You know, I hear you talk about um, how much a mother is required to hold in her head, that mental load of, um, uh, appointments for the kids, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess part of me wants to say that it's almost innate in them. Um, it's a, it's a, it's something that they've almost been born with as a female, um, to, to think about those things more. Is that a cop out? I mean, are there, um, well, it's untrue. are women, are women more innately mothering and, and parental? Or is no. it just a learned thing? Because I, I know I feel like with the amount of study and introspection that I do as a parent, I'm becoming a better parent. But, um, you know, I certainly know when my kids were hanging off my wife's boob and wanted her so much more and I almost felt so helpless um, in a lot of those situations because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to help because it just seemed that this child just needed her so much more. It just, 
felt easy to step back and allow her to do more and think about those things. Um, and so she became more learned a lot quicker as a parent. Yeah. Well, learned is the right word. Parenting skills are learned. They're not innate for males or females, both. And this is true in all primates. Mm. Parenting is learned. So, you know, we have this idea, this this false idea of biological essentialism, that women are biologically programmed to be the active parent. And that's not true. It's, it's culturally imposed. Mm-hmm. Now, clearly men don't gestate or nurse, um, but those are, you know, those are bodily functions. They're not they're, they're not innate capabilities. We get good at whatever we practice doing. And breastfeeding does tilt things a little bit because I don't think you're alone in experiencing, you know, this feeling that you're not as necessary in the beginning. And it's interesting because when they started studying fathers in the 70s, they went into maternity wards and took physiological measures of new parents' um, interactions with their babies. So they tested heart rate, skin conductance, blood pressure, those sort of easily measured physiological markers. And they found that they were exactly the same in women and men in response to their newborns. The one difference they saw between mothers and fathers were that fathers were more likely to take a step back in the presence of their spouse. Mm -hmm. And that is because of this kind of false idea we have that women are more biologically primed for parenthood. It's actually not true. In fact, men's hormones change in proportion to their partners during pregnancy. So it's not only women who are even um, neurobiologically uh, changed by pregnancy. Mm. Men in close contact with a pregnant partner are also physiologically impacted and changed. Mm. Okay. Well, we've covered a lot today. I think it's been a fantastic conversation. You have the soapbox right now to wrap up this conversation and talk to the dads and mums, you know, who are listening to this right now. But specifically talking to the dads, what would you like to see them do Mm -hmm. completing this podcast now? What do they need to do? I'd like to see them try to be the ones to initiate change because I don't think the initiation of this change can rest on mothers' shoulders alone, especially when so much is already resting on mothers. So really go to your wife and say, I don't think that this division of labor is even and I want it to be. And I'm going to take over the mental load around doctors and dentist appointments and birthday parties, right? Because it is hard. The mental load is invisible. It can be hard to split mm. up unless you do mm. it in kind I of this, this really explicit way. Yeah. And what I'm advocating for in this book is not a 50-50 division of labor split down the middle. That's mm. never possible. It's going to ebb and flow at different points in a relationship. But the awareness that each partner brings is really the, um, the crucial piece. And that awareness is so uneven between mothers and fathers. So I think that's what we're really working to straighten out primarily. The the 50-50 part kind of, I, I suppose, flows from that in some way over years when that awareness is equally shared. But so far, it's not equally shared. And dads can initiate it being more so. Yep. So super dads listening to this today, I could have put up a real wall to a lot of what we've talked about today. Um, I could have written it off, said, no, that's not true in my home, but I have an open mind because I have a growth mindset and because I want to improve my relationship with my partner. And I see so much truth in what has been identified today in this podcast. Um, I know that I will be taking this advice and continuing this conversation with my wife. So Darcy Lockman, thank you very much for joining us today. I hope that we impact at least 
one done <laughs> to go and have that conversation, that open raw conversation about what they are going to do to take some of that mental load off and uh, do more around the home. So thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Jared. This has been great. Good one. If you love what you heard and you'd like to support the show, please go to www.patreon.com slash superdadsonline. If you are a dad and you are not part of our closed Facebook group yet, where we continue these deep conversations, go across to Facebook and search for Super Dads Online. You'll hear me on the next episode of the Super Dads Show with our next guest. Thanks for listening.